Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchas Maser, the laws of tithing. We are actually completing the laws of tithing today, Perak Arba Osar. And the reason I cracked up in the very beginning of class is because Daniel, our producer, told me a joke. Okay, Aleph 1. By way of introduction to today's Rambam, concluding the section of tithing, I want to point out the axiom upon which today's Rambam is built. If produce is certainly obligated for Maser to tithe, then it must be tithed. Not only must it be tithed, but as we've learned, a serious outgrowth of the tithing obligation is the Trumas Maser, the 10% of the 10% that has to go to the Kohen, which is a very important halacha whose violation could, God forbid, result in a heavenly death penalty. So therefore, when produce is obligated to be tithed, it is obligated. The whole category of demai, of uncertain produce, we don't know if the unlearned farmer tithed it or didn't tithe it. And our concern is primarily the trumas, Maser, the Kohen's portion within it. We're also concerned with the second tithe, which is a more minor problem because the farmer expends that, takes it and spends those funds on himself in Jerusalem. So our sages took a more liberal approach, being that it's domai, we're not sure whether the unlearned person tithed it or did not tithe it. So we gave a much more lenient approach and we said you can tithe by taking just one hundredth and giving it to the coin by doing the Maeser Sheni. Let's not worry about Maeser Rishon or Maeser Oni. Let them prove that it wasn't done and so on and so forth. So these are actually two radically different approaches. One approach is there's a certain obligation and it must be done. Another approach is it's a very uncertain situation and our sages said do it again anyway. The problem is that if we're not sure what we have in front of us, or if we have two piles of produce, and one we are sure that it has not been dealt with, and the other is demai, the problem is you can't set aside tithe or trumas meiser from one on the other, because they're two different Cat, uh, halachic categories right now. One is something that has to be tithed, and the other is something that may have been tithed. So it has to be dealt with separately. There's no mixing the two. And that's the challenge we face as we enter into chapter 14. That's what this chapter is all about. When you have two piles of produce, two groups of produce, one, for sure, tithing has not been done, so there's a real 100% obligation. The other, tithing may very well have been done. But our sages said, do it again anyway. These two cannot be mixed together. And therefore, 
Aleph 1, If somebody purchases produce from a sitain, a sitain is a wholesaler, a guy who collects a lot of produce from a lot of farmers and he wholesales it. And then he goes back to the same wholesaler, for example. What's a classical example of a wholesaler today? He goes to Costco. He buys produce from Costco. Where do you think Costco gets its produce from? You think they have a farm in the backyard? Costco buys produce from everywhere it can, as long as it gets a good deal. And again, I'm not talking produce, but whatever the situation is, here we're talking about produce. Wholesalers who are able to sell large quantities at excellent prices have to buy wherever they can. So the problem is that this wholesaler bought his produce from different suppliers. One supplier may not have tithe, the other supplier may have tithe. You can't mix the two together. You should not tithe for one group of produce from the other, from one purchase upon the other. Even though it's both the same species, it's barley and barley. Furthermore, even if we know they came from the same batch, it has the same batch number inspected by number 93. You ever see that in your suit? Inspected by number 93. I met number 93. Why? What's the problem? Because the wholesaler buys from many suppliers. And then he just sells wholesale. We're concerned that the first time around the wholesaler bought from an unlearned supplier who's, who he tries to give tithing. And therefore, his tithe is considered demai, rabbinically obligated to tithe the second time. And the second batch, we're concerned, is from a learned supplier whose produce has been taken care of. We've already explained, and this is a little bit of a different scenario than I explained in the introduction. We've already explained that you can't set aside tithing from the exempt produce on the obligatory produce, and vice versa. However, if the wholesaler says, listen, I know my stuff, this all comes from the same supplier, we can trust him. What if the wholesaler sells kshus, which he translates here as hops, or vegetables, and they're being brought and collected before the wholesaler, then the buyer has to take from each one, because this is from this supplier, this is from this supplier. From every batch, from every date individually, because when a wholesaler has a bunch of suppliers coming and say, here's a batch, here's a date, here's a this, then obviously the tithing cannot be grouped together because some are obligated and some are not. That is, if you're buying from a wholesaler in bulk. However, if you're buying from an owner, 
who's selling from his farm. And then you're buying from him again. Same owner, same farm. You can tithe from one batch for the other. Even if they come from two bins. Even if the same owner gave it to you from two cities. One is a farm in one place and the other is a farm in the other place. But they're both his farm. Because a small mama-papa operation, you assume that everything he sells is from his ownership. And therefore we have the same owner. Either he's reliable or he's not reliable. What if there was a private person who's a vegetable vendor on the corner? You know, I know in our neighborhood you drive around sometimes, you see people selling strawberries or oranges. These are corner, street corner vendors. We don't know what the source of this produce is. If people bring this vendor stuff, if, if I'm sorry, if everything he sells is from his gardens, then there's no problem. The buyer can tithe from one batch for another because it's all the same owner. But if the guy just sells produce and he gets from this one, from that one, if you purchase from him, you purchase the second time, it may very well be from a different supplier and a different owner. He shouldn't tithe one for the other. Hey, five. What if somebody purchases bread from a baker? You go to a bakery and you purchase bread. Now, bakeries bake a lot of bread, and they have a lot of suppliers. He shouldn't even do the tithing from warm bread on already cooled bread. You know, you walk into some bakeries today, they have a special section for day-old bread. It's cheaper. Day-old bread means yesterday's crop. It could have come from a different supplier. Because I could say the bakery is big. They have more than one supplier of wheat or rye or whatever it is they're baking. And I could say yesterday's bread was from one farm. One owner who has a certain practice, and today it could be from an owner who has a different practice. Perhaps yesterday's owners observed the laws of tithe, and today's doesn't. If somebody purchases bread from a palter, a bakery, even though the loaves have different molds, the loaves are shaped differently. It's not a problem for him to tithe from one batch for all of it because the fact that they are different shapes and different molds is not a problem. Because a baker, who sells to the wholesaler, he intentionally uses different molds, could come from the same bakery. That's if somebody buys from a small bakery. But if somebody buys from a large distributor, 
Ma'aser mikol tfus Then it's best to use every shaped bread separately, tied separately from every grouping uh, together with shapes. Because a supplier buys from multiple bakers. Here's an interesting law. Seven. What if there are nine distributors in town who buy from ten bakeries? If there are nine distributors, each one buys from his own bakery is a different story. So we know the bakery. But if there are nine distributors and each one buys from... And, and, and they buy from a total of ten bakeries. So... Mathematically, at least one of them bought from two bakeries. So the end buyer who buys from any one of the nine, has to do tithing separately from every shaped bread, because very possibly his supplier from whom he bought the bread got stuff from two different suppliers. His bakery from whom he bought, or his wholesaler, got from two different suppliers. Moving right along as we conclude chapter 14 and this section. If somebody purchases bread from a poor person, similarly speaking, a poor man, they gave him pieces of bread, or they gave him slices of cakes of dried figs. We learned earlier that when there are charitable gifts that are given to the poor, such as leket, shikha, peya, when there is the year of miser oni, there is no tithing obligation for the poor. But if it's not leket, it's not shikha, it's not peya, it's not maser oni, what is it? Somebody came over to a poor man and says, here, mamala. That does not fall into any of the miser-free categories. It's just a gift. So that is obligated in Miser. Yet, the poor man sold you the stuff. The poor man has many suppliers. He gets from many people. Here, tithing has to be given from each one. Just because a guy is poor and he collects from people, it doesn't mean it's Miser free. Unless it fills, falls into the specific categories of Leket, Shikha, or Miseroni. So therefore, the buyer who buys from the poor man has to give each one separately. Because this could be from one supplier who observes miser. This could be from one who doesn't. And that's the problem, as we learned before. However, for dates and dried figs, he can group everything together. When does this apply? If it's a lot, if it's a large gift, but if it's a little bit, Again, you have to do each one separately because the poor man got it from a bunch of different people. What if a person grinds a loaf of bread and he creates what is today a very hot item, breadcrumbs? He creates breadcrumbs. He grinds dried figs and makes them into cakes. He tithes from one for all, because this becomes, I guess, an, a, 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 a large present, so more lenient laws are applied, as we said. And finally, 
the last and closing halacha of today's Rambam. Yud, what if there were workers who were eating lunch in their company, in their factory, or a bunch of guests who were sitting and eating? And they left different pieces, and it's up to the workers or the guests to tithe by themselves. That's the the scenario. So being that we're approaching leftovers from a bunch of people, it's a problem. Because some may have tithed, and others may not have tithed. So you can't combine it. You have to give individually, you have to tithe individually for every leftover remnant of this group of people. You can't treat it as a group. It's the same halacha, because it comes from different suppliers. Some may have tithed, and others may not have tithed. Brich, Rachamona, Disyayon, the Rambam ends as he always does. Blessed be the merciful one, Hashem, who grants assistance, the Rambam, in addition to being a rabbi, and a physician, and a court physician, was this amazing scholar who, without a computer, was able to create this amazing work as one of many. Okay.